Amen. That's where all systems go. So how are you all doing? Getting there? Struggling on? It's good to be together. It's good to be together to think about the important things. I think there's so many important things going on just now. There's so many worries that we have. There's so many issues that are constantly pulling at us. You know, <laughs> if, it's, if it's, are we going to get our holidays abroad this year? Or more realistically, you know, I'm really worried about my own health, my neighbor's health, my mom's health, my, my kid's health, whatever it might be. There are things that are constantly pulling at us. And, and where can we find hope and solace? Well, you know, I'm a minister. I'm up the front. You know what I'm going to say. The answer is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is our answer. He is our hope. He is our desire. He is our joy. But where do we find Jesus? You know, we, we, throughout, throughout your church days, if you've been part of a, a community of faith for years, you will have, have heard the good news of Jesus over and over. It might be so much that you've heard it that you've kind of become almost, dare I say, vaccinated against it, that you, you, you're, you're almost immune to hearing what good news it is. Or it might be that you are a fairly new Christian or that you're just dipping your toe in the water. You might be watching on, on your screen at home and thinking, what is this all about? What is he always going on about? Who is this guy, Jesus? What are they always talking about, these Christians? And where we find Jesus, we probably met him because someone else introduced us to him. There was probably someone who witnessed, you know, gave their testimony, that's, that's a couple of loaded terms, but someone who told their story of how Jesus had changed their lives. And from there, what do we do? Because if we, if we think, yes, I want to know more about this Jesus, and we take that initial step to following Him, that's when the battles truly come. That's when the battles really begin to start. You know, because the enemy is not bothered. If, if we're going our own merry way, then he's delighted. But the minute we pin our colors to Jesus, you all right there, Peter? I just did exactly the same thing, left myself plugged in. See, if you, if you become a Christian, you stumble. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Now, that's what happens, though, in our, in our spiritual walk when we put our trust in Jesus. That's when the battles begin. And the truth is, the place where we find Jesus for ourselves, as we grow deeper with Him, as we become equipped to serve Him in this world, as we get ready to be with Him in eternity, it's here. It's not, not just this one, but this is my one. It's in the Bible. And we are continuing this this series for the next few weeks on, on how we can have trust in this book, how we can delight in what it tells us because it's true, and also because it's been tested. Throughout the years, it's been tried, it's been examined, and what we have in our hands today is what they had in their hands 17, 18, 1900 years ago in different formats, but it is the same. 
And that's what we want to think about a little bit this morning. There's, there's only so much I can do in a, in a 15, 28, 25 minute, half an hour sermon, however long it goes. There's only so much I can do. But there are people, theologians, there are geniuses who have studied this, worked at this, and are still continuing to do so. And we can have trust in it. There was a guy who was a golfer. He wasn't a great golfer. He might have been similar to me, you know, more, more shots go this way than that way. And he was lining up at his tee, and he, and he took the driver out, and he whacked the ball, and it, it did one of those. It did one of those and landed in a farm, and unfortunately, it took out a chicken. It killed the chicken, and, and the guy was full of remorse. He couldn't believe it, what he'd done. So he went up to the farmhouse, and he knocked on the door, and he said to the farmer, I'm so sorry, but I took a terrible golf shot and I killed your chicken. I wonder if I could replace your hen. And the farmer was a, an old school boy. He, was a, he, he might have had a pipe. He was chewing on his pipe, and he just looked at him, and he said, well, that depends. How many eggs can you lay a day? <laughs> you know, I think often, as we look at the Bible, we think, do we have to somehow produce something that's not in us? Do we, do we have to do something that, that will, will produce amazing things? But the truth is, no. We, we need to just come and read it, invite Holy Spirit to fill us, and let us see what God has for us. If you take, the problem that we have is if we take a cursory look online, or if you watch, you know, some of these cable channels, the, the History Channel, or I'm not quite sure what they're called, but often they'll have documentaries about the Bible, about, about Jesus and the Gospels and all these things. And, and if you take a look online, you will see all sorts of stuff on there as well. I, I, I remember stumbling across a, a TV documentary. Now, I, I did a… Church of Scotland made me do six years of divinity study. I was a wee bit too young when I first went into it, so I had to do more. And, and I loved all this stuff, and it, it was six years of, of great fun and great learning, but I, I, a thimbleful is probably how much learning I have. And then you get these TV documentaries, and they're maybe an hour long, and even I can tell they're full of nonsense. If you, if you, if you listen to some of them, one I stumbled along before, it, it basically was saying that the Bible was culled from all these myths and legends from before that these, this secret cabal had taken sections of all the best bits and mushed them together from all the ancient religions and the thinkers of the day, and they took the best bits, and now they have the Bible. And actually what the Bible is, is just a mishmash of stuff. It's not actually anything important, that it's not to be trusted. And if you take a look anywhere, that is pretty much the opinion that the world will give us. Some of the main ideas is that there was a secret cabal. They may have had beards, they may not have had beards, but they had a hidden agenda where they selected the 66 books that are in the Bible, and the books that didn't fit with their agenda, with their plans, well, they just suppressed them, and they're continuing to suppress them now. Stories about how Jesus and Mary and the disciples, they did stuff that was not included in the Bible, and that the church is this awful, bearded, suppressing corporation 
that just wants its own way. I think Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code has a lot to answer for. He did in the last week while I don't know. Do people still read the Da Vinci Code? It's a great turn, page turner, but it's, it's awfully written. <laughs> Have you ever read the sin? Anyway, that's, a, that's another thing. But, but Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code was one of the most read books. And the charity shops these days say that the, the most popular book that's handed in is the Da Vinci Code. So a lot of people have read it and then got rid of it. But I think it still sticks with a lot of people. And there are other things that are out there now. And I wonder, what do you think? At home, here in the building, what do you think? Can you trust the Bible? Have you even thought about where the Bible comes from? This is a big question, especially if we're going to build our lives upon it. So, 66 books. They're known as the canon, with one end, not two ends. And the word canon comes from the Greek for measuring stick, a stick that is used to measure if something was up to the standard. So we, we speak about canon for maybe literature or for what is in the canon of Star Wars or what is in the canon of the Lord of the Rings. There's all these things that are, are talked about about canon. And basically what it means is what is genuine, what is legitimate, what is legit. What makes the Bible up to standard? What makes it trustworthy? Are there reasons why the Bible can be recognized as being up to it. So, are you still with me? Just checking. You're still with me. There's a couple of things we need to clear up. First of all, when John finished the book of Revelation, when he had that vision of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, AD 96 maybe, on the Isle of Patmos, as he was finished that, the Bible did not descend to him into his hands as a complete work. That's not how it happened. This is not what went on. It just didn't work that way. It wasn't like, you know, the Mormons, Joseph Smith, the golden tablets that were given by the angel. It didn't happen that way. The Bible is not created that way. But we also need to recognize that there might have been people with beards, there might have been guys with beards, but there was no hidden agenda. In fact, the church, the early church, the Orthodox church, were facing lots of opposing agendas. Gnosticism was rife. There were, there were, biblical, there were theological controversies going on all the time. There was lots of New Age stuff that's today is similar to what Gnosticism was back in the day, that you have the power within yourself to heal yourself. So, what does it matter? Why am I asking this question this morning? What does it matter that we need to know how the Bible was put together? Well, we read from 2 Timothy last year, last week rather, that the Bible is God-breathed, God-inspired, that God has worked through it. God spoke it, and it was written down. And this gives us the answer to the problem. God breathed, God spoke, and His people wrote it down. I don't know if you enjoy a jigsaw. Does anyone enjoy a good jigsaw? There are, there are things now called 
Now I'm going to say, was, was Gidge, is that right? They're backwards jigsaws that you, you don't get the picture and you have to make, uh, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. But regular jigsaws, you get the edges, you work in the edges, you put it together, don't you? you? You just methodically get through and you put all the pieces in. And there's nothing worse if there is a piece missing at the end. But what, <laughs> I don't know if you ever did this as a child or an adult, full confession, I, I may have done it in the past, where you trim off edges and just jam the pieces in. But when you do that, the picture doesn't make sense, does it? But when you get all the pieces in the right places, you get the complete picture. As we think about the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of this library, who was at work in the formation of the Bible, He's still at work in us today. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is none like me. I have made known from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I believe that God's purposes are at work in this Bible. So, how was it put together? Well, you need to take it from <clears throat> Old Testament and New Testament. First of all, Old Testament. First five books of the Bible, Torah, Pentateuch, you can call it these sort of words, but it means the law. It was given to Moses, and Moses is traditionally known as the writer of these first five, but he died at the end of the last one, so someone else must have had a little bit of involvement, and we think there's a lot of kind of um, information about this, and there's editors and stuff, but it was primarily given to Moses the law, and this is the foundation given by God, and Moses shared it, and people spoke it and shared it and then wrote it down. These include from the formation of the universe, the call of Abraham, the rescue from slavery in Egypt, the tabernacle, and going into the promised land. This is the formation of the Old Testament. And the Torah is so important because from that, from that first five books, everyone else builds their foundation upon it. Ezra, Nehemiah, the prophets, King David, his Psalms, they all refer back to the Torah. And this is quite key. This self-reflection is key. Thinking back to the jigsaw, when you look at the foundations all the way through, you begin to see a picture that is coming together of God's redemption for each one of us. In Joshua 1, as Joshua is taken over from Moses, the Lord speaks to him and says, keep this book of the law on your heart all the time, it will help you. And the prophets continue to reflect upon the Torah, they preach the law, they hear the voice of God, and they continue to check in with Scripture. And then as you look at the Psalms and the Proverbs, they are also speaking about what it means to be obedient to God's Word. Psalm 19, as, as you were hearing from Andy and Anne in the video before they were cut short, Psalm 119-105, that the Word is a lamp to our feet. Psalm 19 verse 16 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, it refreshes the soul. In other words, it all fits together. There's no trimming of pieces. There's no jamming in of the jigsaw piece to try and get a proper picture. 
It all fits together. And from that beginnings of the story of rescue and redemption, we then turn to the New Testament. And again, we have this self-reflection, this looking back on Scriptures, Scriptures that have been accepted and known. If you look at the beginning of Matthew, you see Jesus' family tree, and it goes all the way back, documenting these people who live for God and who are part of Jesus' legacy. Highlighting Jesus and the writers then speak of how Jesus fulfills what the prophets said. You can look at Luke chapter 4 for one example. But also, Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. Twenty-nine prophecies were fulfilled the day that Jesus died. Twenty-nine Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled on the day that Jesus died. It all fits together. And then after His death and resurrection, Jesus meets with His disciples, His go-to guys, and they have the best Bible study ever. Look at Luke 24 later on, how, it speak, how He speaks of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the three key elements of the Old Testament. And Jesus Himself shows how it all fits together. And the apostles in their writing then follow suit. So who decided what went into the New Testament? I hope you're still with me. I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm pushing a couple of big boulders across the bridge at this point, but I hope you're still with me. I hope you're still thinking about what it means, what all this means. Who decided then what went in the New Testament? Well, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul references the Gospels and the Lord's Supper. He's doing that reflection thing. And then we get to our reading for today. Hopefully, it'll be up on the screens. And this is Peter, Peter the disciple, in his second letter at, verse, at chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. He's just been speaking about how God is going to come back and redeem the world. It doesn't look like a pretty picture, but it's who God is, and it's the way that He is going to do it. And then he says, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. And then he says these, these, these brilliant words. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. It's good news if you've ever struggled with, with Paul's writings, if you've struggled with maybe Romans, which ignorant and unstable people distort, that's not us obviously, as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. In other words, there are other people out there who are trying to change, change scripture, but Paul is scripture. So, the writings of Paul is, is shown to be Scripture by Peter. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So, a couple of things to take out from that. Peter reflects that Paul is Scripture, 
and Paul reflected on the Gospels that they were Scripture, and that we today should be testing and recognizing what Scripture is and not listening to the ignorant and the unstable who try and distort it. We cannot, we cannot listen to the world. We need to listen to the Word. The church, the early church, developed a system to test what went into the New Testament canon. Ancient, did it come from the right time? Apostolic, was it written by an apostle or a close companion of one? Agreement, does it agree with the rest of Scripture as it reflects? And acceptance, was it accepted across the universal church? That's what the early church did, and that's how we can have confidence in it. So, what does that mean? Well, when there was a lot of hubbub about the Da Vinci Code, I remember Donna was at her work, and, and someone else said to her, knowing that she was married to a minister, and she said, she said to Donna, it must be really hard for you, eh? Now that this book's come out, and, and, and your faith is just a lot of nonsense. And Donna was like, Dan Brown's just written a book based on stuff that's wrong. I trust in the Bible, which has gone back 3,000 years and has been tested and tested and tested. Dan Brown hasn't done nothing. That's not good English, but you know what I mean. There are folks who think that these new ideas knock the Bible into a tin hat. But if you want to take an example, there is a Gnostic gospel, which was written many, many years later, called the Gospel of Thomas. You could take the Gospel of Judas. You could take the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. There's all these different ones. But if you were to take a passage from the Gospel of Thomas, one of the sayings, it says, you can bring forth that which is inside you which will save you. But if you were to compare it to Matthew 15, where Jesus speaks about the stuff inside you that defiles you, or Romans 8, where it says that, that you are inherently not able to choose the good, you recognize that the Gospel of Thomas is a work of the Gnostics that is trying to say you can save yourself, which the Bible doesn't teach. So this Gospel does not fit into the four A's of the, the ancient, the apostolic, of the acceptance. It doesn't work. And it's the same for the Gospel of Mary. It's the same for the Gospel of Judas. It's the same for loads of these writings that happened after Jesus began to get popular because people jumped on the bandwagon. Think about the jigsaw. It doesn't fit together. By 367, Athanasius, the Bishop of Alexandra, had a completed canon of 66 books. In 382 AD, the Council of Rome affirmed this, and in 397, the Synod of Carthage, if you're interested, it was all a done deal. So, Keith, what on earth are you talking about this morning? I'm saying, if you haven't got it so far, don't believe everything you read online or see on the telly. believe in this. There is no great conspiracy. This has been tried and tested and can be trusted. And the reason I believe 
is because this is what Jesus believed. And if Jesus is our Lord, I think we have to follow what He has said. And for Him, what the Scripture said, God said. And this view of the inspiration of the Bible has been held almost universally by the worldwide church down through the ages. That the Bible is inspired, it is trustworthy, it's true. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that God's servant may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second Timothy. Scripture tells the story of redemption, and it points us to Jesus. It's a map. It's a torch. It's a recipe book. It's God's Word that points us to Jesus, and we can have 100% confidence in it. And God has desired us to have this written Word point us to the living Word. God has written us. You say, well, men wrote this, yes, but God built it. To give an example, Sir Christopher Wren, that wonderful architect of his time, he built St. Paul's Cathedral. He started at the age of 44 in 1676, and for 35 years the cathedral was built under this one architect. It was completed in 1711 when Wren was 79 years of age. Sir Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral, but he didn't. He didn't, well, he might have done one brick, but I'm sure that would have been his limit. He didn't get down into the muck and put the bricks and the stones in. Many different builders were involved, but there was one mind, one architect, and one inspiration behind it all. And so it is with God's Word, the Bible. Many different writers, one architect, one inspiration behind it all, God Himself. So we can trust this. It comes from God's people, God-inspired people, and we can put our 100% confidence in it. And it points us to Jesus. It points us to the Savior of the world, and it shows us how to live for Him. So let's read it. Let's not leave it dusty on the shelf. Put it next to your bed, put it on your phone, and read it every day and let God work in you and become more like Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for this, for this Bible, which contains life. And Lord, may we read it, may we dig deep into it, may we dive into it afresh and anew, and discover what it has for us, but also for those that we love. Lord, may we point them to Jesus and invite them to journey with us in reading this amazing book, this book of dynamite that sets us alight. In your name we pray. Amen.